Welcome to Inside Reagan, the Reagan Institute's official podcast. I'm Liam Fitzgerald. My guest today is Dr. Boris Yule. He is a principal investigator at the Reagan Institute of Mass General Hospital, MIT in Harvard, a physician at Mass General Hospital, and an instructor in medicine at Harvard Medical School. Today we're going to talk about Dr. Yulg's research here at the Reagan Institute and what it means to be both a clinician and a researcher in the rising world of bench-to-bedside medicine. Welcome Dr. Yulg, and thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to talk with me today. Well, thank you for having me. Let's start from the beginning. Could you tell me a little bit about where you grew up and how you got interested in science? As you can hear from my accent, I'm from Germany. Um, this is where I'm born in Frankfurt. And I uh, went to medical school in Germany as well and uh, went to Switzerland for part of medical school training and then started doing my internal medicine residency in Munich um, where I got engaged in a lot of uh, HIV medicine and taking care of people with HIV infection and had a scientific interest in immunology before I did my PhD in Germany on transplant immunology and seeing more and more HIV patients, dealing with that, and dealing uh, with the immunology behind, um, I got interested to do more basic and translational research in that area. So how did you make your way all the way over to Massachusetts? So at the time, as I said, when I was looking around um, what is done in that field of uh, HIV immunology, um, Bruce Walker, who's the director of the Reagan Institute at the time, was the Partners AIDS Research Center at NGH in Boston. They're pretty like uh, one of the top institutes uh, in this field. And the most interesting piece, actually, uh, was that they were collaborating with a research institute in Durban in South Africa. And South Africa was the, is still the epicenter of the HIV epidemic. And mm-hmm. um, I was really interested um, by the opportunity to do science in Boston, but also to work uh, in Durban in the in the research facilities there um, and do HIV immunology. Can you explain for me, in layman's terms, exactly what you're researching? So, given my background that I'm doing clinical work, but I'm trained as well in in, in really in bench science or basic science, um, I'm really interested to link the knowledge we gain from basic science and experiments in the laboratory um, to translate this knowledge into product development, let's say, or at least interventions to help people with HIV or to prevent HIV in general, be it by a vaccine or other interventions. And um, at the moment, I w- was doing a lot of work on the on the on the cellular immunology, so T cells in particular, and how we can develop vaccines to induce good immune responses to prevent people from getting even infected. But uh, I got more and more interested as well in ways now to hopefully be able to cure or eradicate HIV that people don't have to take uh, pills every day for the rest of their life, but really to get rid of that infection. So, what have you learned from your research so far? I mean, this is a lot we learn. We learn every day, obviously, and this is, these are baby steps, um, but many baby steps uh, make big progress as well over time. Um, right, right now, I'm involved, actually, um, with Dan Baruch uh, at the Bestrail Diaconus Medical Center, who's one of the steering committee members here at the Reagan Institute as well. Uh, we're working on, uh, on several projects. Um, one in particular is using antibodies, um, 
which have very potent activity against all kinds of different HIV strains, and to use these antibodies in humans to see if we either can um, um, treat virus, so people who are infected with HIV, give them the antibodies, see that we can reduce the virus or treat the virus, or even maybe potentially at some point eradicate the virus, um, as well as to use these antibodies to prevent people from even getting infected. And we're, uh, we're a few months ahead from a first trial where we're going to use these antibodies in, in the first yeah. humans. And um, there's a bunch of different trials in that direction planned starting November and then next year in March. So this is a very exciting time right now. At the same time, we have um, a vaccine which is uh, which uh, is inducing specific immune responses in people, which has been tested as well for uh, prevention of HIV, like every other vaccine that mm-hmm. you don't even get infected. Um, but we try to use that vaccine and give it to people who are already infected with HIV, who are taking treatment and pills every day. But mm-hmm. we think that this vaccine might be able to boost the immune responses in these people, that they might be able to control their infection without the need of any treatment anymore. So this is another human trial we're preparing wow. right now. So what would you say is the most difficult part of doing scientific research here? I mean, it's, you know, it's a combination of um, you need the right resources, you know, mm-hmm. you need the right products. It's uh, Everything is very protected, obviously, as it should be. Um, so that takes takes a long time to move a single idea forward. And this is what maybe often is a little bit uh, misunderstood, why things take so long. Um, why don't we make progress faster? Um, everyone is working really hard. But uh, obviously, we have to do everything in the best of the interest of the of the patients, and that means we have to be very, very sure and safe with everything we do and give to someone that that's not going to harm them. Mm-hmm. And so this process pretty much takes a long time, and it is, has to be very thorough and very detailed. And and preparations for these trials, for example, can take two to three years before you even be able to start enrolling the first patient to a clinical study. Um, that that is standard, and that should be like that. Um, but um, this makes things slow and uh, very uh, laborious. Now I'd like to move on to something that makes you different from most people here at the Reagan Institute. You aren't only a scientist, you're also a physician at Mass General Hospital, which was named the top hospital in America by U.S. News and World Report last year. So how do you balance both doing research and attending to patients? So actually there's, there are a few uh, physician researchers here at the Reagan Institute. Um, and then there's many people who have PhDs and, uh, and really are specialized in on the research part. I mean, I was always really interested in that combination because I think out of the clinical care and out of seeing patients and treating patients, you develop actually the, the ideas what you have to do from, from the research side because this is, you know what the clinical question is, what you need to know to improve patient care, and based on that, then you develop your research plan to figure out uh, um, these questions, what the answers are, pretty much. And on the other side, you know, research, uh, as I said, is it's it's difficult. You know, it's often frustrating. Often the results don't pan out as you wanted them to be. Um, 
and uh, and the motivation to do that and go through all that comes from from taking care of of, uh, of patients pretty much. I mean, this this is for me the big motivation that you know at the end of the day why you're doing all that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm really I'm really uh, uh, lucky that I'm that I'm can work here actually at, at Mass General and I trained here at Mass General as well in internal medicine and in infectious disease. Um, so I'm grateful that this worked out that way. And I really like working clinically here because it's a great, great, very good environment, actually. Um, and to combine research at the same time. So, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a it's 200% jobs. Yeah, for sure. A term that is becoming increasingly popular today in the world of medicine is bench-to-bedside research. Could you explain to me what that means and how it's different from traditional medical research? Yeah, so this is this is what I tried to um, to talk about a little bit earlier. Is it's pretty much really um, asking the questions which are the most relevant for direct improvement of patient care. Um, so, what do we need really to do to treat a disease, to improve treating a disease, to cure a disease, uh, just to make life easier for people who have a specific disease or infection? Um, so be closer at the patient-oriented problems. There's a lot of knowledge which is getting created, which is very necessary, but maybe not directly related right away to improving patient care, but down the road will improve patient care because this is the knowledge everything is based on. But I was really interested in having this link, working with patient samples from cohorts which have specific characteristics, infections, diseases, whatever it is, and, and, and have this translational piece, pretty much, between mm-hmm. bench work, so being really in the laboratory and doing really work there, but, you know, being close to actually the, the patient problem. And um, and I think that's a very important piece, and it becomes, I have the feeling, more and more important, given the funding situation. People really want to fund things which are the most relevant to improve patient well-being. And, um, and so this bench-to-bedside uh, seems to become more and more important. So how do you address the unique ethical challenges that clinician researchers face? For example, how do you balance the clinical mandate to act in the best interest of the patient, yet still maintain the scientific rigor that is needed to get answers to the hard questions that face the world of HIV research? Yeah, so this brings us back to the point that um, it takes long before we can really test an intervention in humans. And as I said, this is is good that we have all these these rules and laws in place right now to protect someone um, or protect the the, the, the the study participants pretty much from any from any harm or, or uh, uh, maldoing pretty much. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, there's these examples. Um, for example, there was like these cases of, of syphilis infection and treatment for syphilis was tested. Uh, I think that was in the '60s, where people got pretty much actively infected with syphilis to then test and uh, treatments for that. They were not aware of that. They didn't consent for that, um, and uh, they were pretty much abused for for clinical trials. Much worse the, uh, in Nazi Germany, obviously, uh, uh, what happened there. The same same scenario. Just people uh, were abused for more often really unnecessary medical experiments, um, 
and and so this has to be absolutely prevented. So everything has to be done in the in the in the best interest of a study participant. They have to be well informed. So whenever we move something forward that we want to test actually in humans, we have to be really convinced based on data in animals and all available other testing we have that this is going to be beneficial. We cannot guarantee that it's going to be really helpful. This is why we do the trial at the end. Um, but we have to be convinced that it will. If we already know that we are unsure about that, then we definitely wouldn't move forward with it. And obviously, everyone, every study participant has to be fully informed about all what we know um, as well. Um, so I think this this is not exclusive. So um, you want the best for your patient. This is why you do the research, and at some point you do the trial, and you hope that your product, your testing, will really help. And then this is pretty much the, the success mm-hmm. of this of this path. Data has shown that the amount of clinician researchers has been steadily declining over the past couple of decades. Why do you think this is? Um, well, I think there's several factors. Um, one for sure is that, as I said, it's this is could be a tough, tough area to to survive in, in particular with funding situation getting more and more difficult, NIH funds getting more and more cut. Um, we live pretty much from grants we have to get, and these grants then finance research, but finance our salary as well. So you okay as long as you get those grants, but every few years you don't know if you're going to get renewal or a new grant. That means you don't even know if you're going to get your salary, pretty much so your whole family is dependent on, on this funding. And with more and more strain on this, on this funding, on the funding situation, you have more and more insecurity in your job. So many people just don't want to do that. You know, they want to have more security. They want to have their salary. They don't want to have to bother about that every year. They might end up with having no job anymore, pretty much, because they don't get research funding. So I think that's one big piece. Another big piece is that, in particular, from the MD perspective, that people spend a lot of money already for their medical school costs, and they come out of medical school, and the salaries in the scientific or research scientist uh, area are much lower than if you work full time as a clinician. So people just cannot afford it. They have to pay back their debt from their medical school. They need to get a better paid clinical job and not spend their time in the, in the research life hoping that they're going to get a grant at some point. So I think these are two two aspects which really make uh, make it more and more difficult for people to stay in this research scientific career. Um, so it's, it's at the moment, it's a little bit of luxury to really do that um, mm-hmm. because income-wise, it makes a huge difference. So do you think anything about the current research system should be changed then to combat this? Yeah, I mean, that's what everyone always says, more money, more money, mm-hmm. more money, you know. Um, and uh, for sure, it's true. It, it, it's just, um, I don't know. I mean, I'm not a politician. I don't, I'm not a, mm-hmm. a, a, a um, business or financial person. But it has to be a little bit more attractive, or at least feasible for people to, to survive on this physician-scientist track salary-wise and to, to uh, finance a family from that without being at risk all the time that you run out of money. So as I can refer to Germany, for example, there the universities are all government-managed and government-financed with tax money. So people who are working for university as a researcher or physician researcher, they're often all tenured. That means their salary is covered as a fixed income by the government. So they are not at risk all the time that they that they lose that they have no income anymore, and that gives much more stability and people are more free to really focus on the science, 
and so therefore they can maintain more people on that track. Um, and that's maybe something that people should think about in this country as well. I'd like to end with a forward-focused question. How do you imagine the work that you and other clinician researchers are doing will shape what we know about HIV in the future? Well, I cannot speak for everyone else. Everyone does different things, and they're definitely all relevant and important. Um, what I hope is really that um, that the, the the two areas, as I said, the vaccines and the and the antibodies, are going to end up to be products in a few, hopefully a few years even, which are going to be FDA approved and really going to go into patients. I think that's what what I'm the most interested in to participate or be a little part of it. That we really develop something meaningful as a product we can really use and help people. Um, it's always you never know, um, you know, still can fail these things. But uh, we're hoping that that we end up with at least one product, and that's um, and that 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 would be already a lot. So yeah. um, so we'll see. Dr. Boris Yulk is a principal investigator at the Reagan Institute of MGH, MIT, and Harvard, a physician at Mass General Hospital, and an instructor in medicine at Harvard Medical School. Dr. Yulk, I want to thank you again for joining me today on Inside Reagan. You're welcome.